0: Welcome back to Second and Short. It is February first, 2023, and the Super Bowl is set. But the first thing we've got is the new Pro Bowl games. Let's run you down. What we're talking about today: we've got obviously NFL conference championship games that happen this weekend. We've got our. We're just gonna talk a little bit through the Pro Bowl format, uh, some Pro Bowl rosters, uh, and how interesting they look. Uh, a little bit of NFL news, college football news, because there's a bunch going on. And we're going to give y'all our top 10 college football quarterbacks from 2022. We're going to give you, uh, or just kind of give a reaction to ESPN's MLB Midwinter Power Rankings. And then a little bit of MLB news and end it off, as always, with Stake Your Claim. Brock, let's go ahead and get into these NFL Conference Championship games. We'll start with the NFC. Eagles beat the 49ers 31-7, and this game was hard to watch.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, the, the the Eagles just completely dominated that game.
0: Yeah, like the 49ers, let's be honest, they lost this game on the first drive. Um, the Eagles get away with highway robbery for a fourth down conversion. Devontae oh, Smith... What? runs down on the left, like jumps t- towards the ball and tries to like trap it under himself. It obviously hits the ground. They hurry up, run a play, right. incomplete pass, whatever. But it stopped the 49ers from being able to challenge and it threw everything off for the rest of the game. Forty 49ers end up scoring the touchdown. They kick it off. 49ers first offensive drive. Brock Herd, uh Brock Purdy goes to throw and then Hassan Reddick has like he hits on his like elbow and so he kind of loses control of the ball and pushes it forward. Linval Joseph recovers the fumble. So now the 49ers not only turn the ball over on their first game or on their first drive. Purdy leaves the game and from that point it was over from there.
1: Well, one thing I'd like to say is um I don't think the entire game was over after that first Eagles touchdown. Yeah, it, it was a touchdown that probably shouldn't have been there. But with that being said, uh, I mean, that is football. Not every play is review, reviewable from the referee's point of view. It looked like he got it. And I, very good awareness by Devontae uh, Smith there by realizing he didn't know if he caught that 100% or not. So he did the, all right, let's get on the ball, let's get on the ball, and started playing go. Uh, I mean, great awareness by him, the Eagles offense, getting onto the ball and uh, getting that ball into the end zone. And I think already, as we talked about, uh, they were down to their third quarterback. Everyone knows this. And, I mean, once you're that far down in the depth chart and you're having to go to pulling up your practice squad quarterback and they got to play, you don't really have too much hope left because there's just not too much you can do with a practice squad quarterback. There's a much different – there's a very fine line from practice squad quarterback and at least a backup quarterback in the NFL. So I think as soon as Brock Purdy got hurt, that just got, that is really what killed the game for them because that was their final hope. Everything was on him and him getting injured is really what took all the air out of the 49ers.
0: Yeah, it, it sucks because we've talked about for weeks now this you know historic story of Brock Purdy and... He was going to you know, rewrite the script of what rookie quarterbacks look like in a conference championship game. There's only been, I want to say, four or five before him, and they've never won. So it does suck to see this. And, you know, second drive of the game, you're already out your quarterback. You have to bring in the journeyman, practice squad quarterback, Josh Johnson, and it was just like, nothing could go their way at that moment in time and look bright spot for the 49ers CMC still had a great game regardless of you know all of the attention being on him but you know debo couldn't do anything in the run game it seemed like they were trying a lot of like pitch plays with him and he was just getting stuffed for negative yards obviously the pass game was just non-existent and then to make it worse Josh Johnson leaves the game with a concussion And they bring Brock Purdy back in, which, you know, look, it was Brock Purdy or Christian McCaffrey or Kyle Juszczyk was going to play quarterback. So, yeah, you can bring in Purdy. It's not like he really did much after that, but, you know, he comes in, he threw the ball a couple of times, and then we find out Monday morning that he completely tore his UCL and he'll be out for six months. And obviously we don't know. But could it have been that they put him back in the game that that injury occurred, you know, or at least you know got worse?
1: Yeah, that was something I was uh, definitely thinking about. Is did this injury get worse by them putting him back in the game? Because honestly, by the point that he got back in the game, there was no hope for the Niners. I mean, there was nothing they could have done. They were losing that game by that by the time uh, he got put back into the game.
0: Yeah, and, and like the difference between a partially torn UCL and a fully torn UCL obviously like either way you're getting get, you're going to get Tommy John surgery but when it's completely torn you know like it says he'll be out for 6 months that's kind of a best case scenario if it was just partially torn you, you know maybe you're more looking at 3 months to to 5 months and then he's ready for, like, OTAs.
1: Yeah, I just – I don't like they put him back into the game again because the situation was already, okay, we know we're not going to win this. There's really no hope. Let's get this let's just run Wildcat for the remainder of the game. I think that's kind of what they should have done. But, I, I mean, again, I'm not a coordinator. I'm not their coach. So he did what he thought was the best for the team and uh, the fan base. But I think for the sake of – brock purdy they probably should sat him the remainder of the game
0: yeah i think that what most likely happened there obviously you know we're not on the sideline we don't know how the decisions were made i'm sure as soon as they took josh johnson off the field shanahan probably went up to brock purdy and was like do you want to come in this game you don't have to and brock purdy Being, you know, the leader that we've kind of seen him be for these, you know, last seven, eight weeks is, of course, up to the challenge. He's going to go in there. He's going to fight until his arm falls off. And that's exactly what he did. Obviously, you know, uh, nothing came out of it. But I think it makes him look better in front of his guys. If he's going to be the starting quarterback next year... I think it's refreshing to see a guy, you know, not give up on his team.
1: Yeah, I like that. I mean, he's a football player. There no player, he's an athlete in general. No athlete is going to miss out an opportunity like he had to at least play in the game of that magnitude. So, very good he came in, but I think, you know, like you said, a partially torn is slightly better than a fully torn uh yeah. UCL so i think that's something we'll uh we'll see how it affects him uh coming up cuz you know some pitchers in baseball when they get the Tommy John they're never the same again so we'll see if that affects him with his quarterback ability
0: yeah and he'll probably have to make you know slight adjustments to his mechanics and whatever but i still think that he's going to be the starter come opening week as long as he you know comes back and is ready For the preseason, but, you know, speaking of their quarterback situation, I'm not sure how much of this you saw, but weirdly enough, whenever the cameras cut to Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, they were always, like, laughing and smiling and whatever. What is wrong? Like... What the hell? It seemed like they would cut to him every time. It was like, oh, yeah, Brock Purdy is so injured. Or, like, when Josh Johnson got the concussion, it cuts over to them, and they're just sitting there fucking chopping it up, laughing to each other. Like, oh, look at these idiots. Like, you guys are in the same boat.
1: Yeah, Um. I don't know how upset we can quite get on the injured players on the sidelines and what they're doing because – as a person who has been an injured player on the sidelines, you know, you, you got to talk and, you know, you still have fun in the game. Me personally, I always was very into the game and paying attention. But, you know, for everybody, for every person, it's, you know, slightly different how they deal with being on the sidelines, not getting to play. So um, I'm, I would, I'm not going to be too upset with them, but I think there you couldn't tell. It just seemed to me that they weren't too into the game.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as we get closer to the start of next season, we'll probably have a better idea of what happens with this quarterback room because I think it's obvious that Brock Purdy's staying. But, you know, one of those guys has got to go because Trey Lance, he's a a top pick in the draft. Jimmy Garoppolo has a ton of money tied up in him. They both have value. Jimmy G's been a starter. For years now, Trey Lance still has a bright future, just uh, some un- unfortunate injuries. But, you know, one of them is going to have more value than the other for for both the 49ers to keep and for the 49ers to give away. And I'm interested to see, you know, who that ends up being because you can't keep all three of these guys on this team.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. I don't think all three of uh, these players will, be, will all stay on the uh, 49ers. Like you said, they're all three Good quarterbacks. Now, we don't really know too much about Trey Lance because, like you said, he was a high draft pick. I mean, we know exactly what you gonna get with Jimmy Garoppolo. You're going to get a good quarterback who can get things done, but he's not going to be the best quarterback in the world, but he's not going to be the worst quarterback in the world. He's just going to be good. He's yeah. going to do what needs to to get done. Um, and then, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about Brock Purdy, but he's the yo- he, I mean, he's kind of the younger version of – Of, um, oh, of Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think of the three, the one that won't stay will be Trey Lance. You know, just I think that uh, the most likelihood of all three, he's probably going to be the one that gets traded away or whatnot.
0: Yeah, I I could see it happening. And maybe we see it even before the draft. They maybe have made up their mind at that point. But, you know, I think it'd be in the 40, like, if the 49ers have a guy in this draft that they really want to get, you know, right now, what they'll get the 20 or the 30th pick
1: or the, um, like 28th or 29th, right?
0: Yeah. I think it's either the 29th or, yeah. So it'll either be the 28th or 29th because there's no 32nd pick because the Dolphins had to forfeit their, uh, pick. So there's only 31 picks in the first round. Um, so yeah, they'll either have, um, 29 or 28. I can't quite remember. But, you know, if they want to trade up, um, you know, find a guy that they really like, maybe you could give up Trey Lance for that first rounder.
1: Yeah, I think he, he's a good person to have right now because, I, like, you know, we kind of said before, he's we don't know exactly where his potential is, but we know he's a pretty good quarterback. So... I think he he it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him.
0: Yeah. But enough of the 49ers. Let's talk about the winning team here, the Eagles. The most impressive players in this game were the Eagles offensive line and defensive line, easily.
1: Yeah, I think they they definitely won the battle in the trenches uh, on both sides of the ball. I think the Eagles interior D-line could have played a little better, but again, Christian McCaffrey is just a freakishly good running back, and that's kind of what they ran into uh, on a few guys because he still had a pretty pretty good game, uh, but besides that, overall, they had the Eagles defense played amazing, and so did their offensive line.:
0: Yeah, like Lane Johnson for the offensive line was on Nick Bosa for a majority of the game held Nick Bosa to zero sacks, zero QB hits. That's the guy who I think is going to win Defensive Player of the Year, and uh, Lane Johnson with, like, a torn... I believe he tore something in his groin and is playing on it, and he has a hurt ankle. Just held him to zero sacks, zero QB hits. Like, that is yeah. a crazy performance for Lane Johnson.
1: Yeah, that that was very... Very good by their O-line. I, I completely forgot that, like, the 49ers actually have one of the better defensive lines in the league. Like, they completely held that line to almost nothing.
0: Yeah. They, it, it was crazy. The Eagles, they only gave up one sack in this game. It was to Eric Armstead, and that sack was a zero-yard loss.
1: Yeah. it is. It was very a uh, very good game by the, by the I mean, for the Niners, not to go to get back on that whole uh, rant, but their um, their linebackers is what really kept them in this game. Is when you look at it, because yep. they played Jalen Hurts perfectly. They uh, were able to drop into coverage and made every tackle, that, almost every tackle that needed to be made. So, uh, I mean, they they did. That's what uh, held the Niners in for so long, but. After a while, that Eagles offense is just, they have so many weapons, and you could just see that.
0: Yeah, and we talked about um, <laughs> during the game, I, I texted you and said, like, they're throwing into the linebackers every time the Eagles were. And I think it was a smart play. Um, they weren't going for anything deep, nothing crazy, nothing to you know jeopardize what they had going for them. No, even you know knowing that the offense for the 49ers wasn't going to you know reply, but they kept throwing into the linebackers, finding openings, not going too deep, uh, getting short yardage to just move them up the field, and it worked out so well
1: yeah, and uh, one person on uh, their team I really want to point out is jason Caley's Kelsey, Kelsey, I mean, I don't know why I said his name where it meant Jason Kelsey. Oh, apparently, I don't know why I said it so weird. Oh, my goodness. But he played
0: amazing. Yeah, he he is a phenomenal center. Definitely one of the best for, you know, however long. I think, like, he's probably been the best center in the league every season, other than, like, a couple of seasons where, like, Alex Mack was really good with the Falcons. I'd say that uh, Jason Kelsey has been probably the best center in the league over an extended period of time and he just continues to prove it.
1: Yeah, he just there are so many plays if you look if we go back and like look through them of him just tearing it up and being the best player out there.
0: Yeah. And and then, you know, for the Eagles defense, their defensive their pass rush was phenomenal. Hassan Reddick had a sack that only took 2.9 seconds from the snap. And then Javon Hargrave, Hassan Reddick, and Josh Sweat all averaged a separation from the quarterback at the time of pass attempt or sack of 3.3 yards. And for reference, the league average is 4.53 yards. So they're over a yard closer to the quarterback on every pass attempt or sack than the league average.
1: Yeah, it it was quite impressive. (laughs)
0: Yeah, just an insanely good outing from the Eagles, and, you know, that's that's what happens when you put up 31 points and the other team only scores seven. It's got to be quite a good defensive game. But uh, a little bit of post-game stuff. Uh, George Kittle was asked about how he felt about the injuries to quarterbacks, and his response was 100% warranted. He said, uh, how does it feel like – he was asking back kind of to the reporter, how does it feel to lose an NFC championship game because I don't have a quarterback? Pretty shitty, to be honest. Yeah, like George Kittle should be upset. They had an amazing season, and it all led up to this one, and we were all excited to see you know, what this team would do because these, the, these were the two best teams, in my opinion, going into this game. The two teams that I wanted to see match up the most and, you know, it kind of just sucked because Brock Purdy just went out immediately.
1: Yeah, I still think the Eagles would have won, but even with Brock Purdy not being injured, it would have been a much, much, much closer game.
0: Yeah, and I think it probably would have been just as good as the second game here, the AFC Championship. The Chiefs end up beating the Bengals 23-20. It was Pretty close for a majority of the game, except for, like, in the second quarter. But, look, this is a game that people want to watch. The two best quarterbacks in the league, in my opinion, right now, duking it out for a trip to the Super Bowl, you know, it doesn't get better than that. And, you know, the the stats showed it. I believe it was the, it had, like, I, I don't remember the number, but it was, like, the highest viewed conference championship game in years,
1: I mean, it was easily one of the best games, like NFL games, I've seen in a while. It was very, very defensive, but still very exciting. Yeah. There uh, were I... still some great plays by both offenses, but both defenses played so well.
0: Yeah, I think there was like a couple of significant turning points here for the Chiefs. And, you know, first being um, Burroughs' interception following the Chiefs' touchdown in the second quarter. It it kept the Bengals down 10. You know, luckily, a a 19-second three-and-out drive from the Chiefs gave the Bengals enough time to march down and kick a field goal. But, you know, a touchdown would have put them in a much better position there. And throwing that interception and just kind of throwing off the momentum completely ruined them right before they go into the half, and so you go into the half, you're down what I I believe it was 13-6, and then you come out in the half, and and the Bengals did look good in the second half. They tied up the game at 13-13 on the first drive of the half, but um, it it just kind of seemed like the Chiefs looked better. Yeah,
1: it definitely seemed uh, throughout the game the Chiefs were there to win, and the Bengals were expecting to win.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that I think we all saw that throughout the week with you know how the Bengals players were acting, Mike Hilton and Eli Apple, just really talking some shit all week, and then you know it just comes to happen that neither of those guys backed it up in this game.
1: I will say Mike Hilton had a much better of a game than Eli Ma- Apple. Eli Apple should never be allowed to talk crap ever. Because he never does good. I don't know why. I don't know how he's still on a NFL roster.
0: Yeah, it's wild. Like, look, he's good enough, but he's not as good as – he's not good enough to back up how much shit he talks.
1: Yeah, he talks way too much, and all it does is lead to, (laughs) like, this in the game where he gave up, you know, wide-open touchdown and things like that. It's, I mean, just look back at the Super Bowl. Um, it just, I uh, i think, like, Joe Burrow had a good game in this game, but, uh, it just, ugh. it was just such a good game. I, of course, got, kind of was rooting for uh the Bengals because I had my boy Mike Hilton on it, but, I mean, the Chiefs played very well, uh, I mean, statistically, if you look at it, Joe Burrow had a significantly better game than, uh, Patrick Mahomes did, but, uh overall the Chiefs just looked so much better.
0: I wouldn't say that Burrow had a better game than Mahomes whatsoever. Burrow
1: went thirty for thirty nine, four hundred and forty six yards, averaging eleven yards and four touchdowns, while Mahomes went twenty six, thirty five, two fifty nine. You're looking at like the wrong game
0: or something, because Joe Burrow went twenty six forty one, two seventy, one touchdown, two interceptions.
1: Year. It brought me to the complete wrong gear, and I just now <laughs> noticed that.
0: Yeah. I was about to say, because, like, Burrow did not have a good game, and Patrick Mahomes did. I was very lost with what you were talking about. But, yeah, but give the correct it's, stats it's... Burrow had 270, one touchdown, two interceptions, got sacked five times. Mahomes, 29 for 43, 326, two touchdowns, no interceptions.
1: That is awkward on my behalf because I was looking through Yeah, it. keeps bring for some reason, it keeps bringing me to the one last year.
0: Weird. well Because it
1: says Sunday. Okay, sorry.
0: That is quite annoying. No worries. But let's kind of get back into how the game went kind of play by play. So they tie it up at 20 uh, to start the fourth quarter, and it gets a little bit sloppy, uh, punt, Interception, punt, punt. And then with three seconds left, Harrison Butker nails a 45 yard field goal to win the game 23 20. And I think the obvious factor here that, you know, gave the Chiefs the, uh, I guess, the advantage in this one is that the Bengals' offensive line had to face a real pass rush and they absolutely folded.
1: Yeah, that was the biggest issue here was that offensive line. I mean, the entire game, Joe Burrow was having to run for his life. That offensive line, we thought they fixed it a little this past offseason, and they obviously did not fix it at all. Because like you said, they, they finally passed, uh, went against a real defensive line, and they get exposed for the frauds that they are.
0: Yeah. And- and I'm
1: looking at statistics, and this makes a lot more sense to what I remember. Joe Burrow did not <laughs> – for Joe Burrow, Sanders and not have a good game. Only one touchdown and two interceptions. Oof.
0: Yeah, and what's crazy is he led the the game in rushing yards with 30 across both teams. But, um, look, with the Bengals' offensive line, the problem was it's not that, like, oh, they weren't pass-protecting well or, like, but they could run the ball. They couldn't do either. They, they couldn't run. The, the, like, the worst run that – the Chiefs' uh, defensive line gave up was Samajé Piran's two-yard rushing touchdown. That was like the worst run they gave up. And then in the passing game, Chris Jones was all over them. He averaged 3.44 yards of separation from the quarterback, and he had two sacks, three tackles for loss, and five QB hits.
1: Yeah, definitely uh, that Kansas City defensive line owned the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, because I mean, every stat you're saying just uh, again reinforces that this Cincinnati Bengals offense is terrible.
0: Yeah. And it kind of sucks because look, they have the weapons to use and, and they use them for the most part. T. Higgins, six receptions, 83 yards. Jamar Chase, six receptions, 75 yards. But I uh, just, if they had, if, if they could give Burrow just some more time they would have had a better shot. They just they couldn't. And it doesn't help that the defense didn't play all that well, but I feel like you kind of have to put this one on the offensive line because they're the ones that create the opportunities in both the passing and the running game, and they just didn't do that well enough.
1: Yeah, uh, I think this entire game can be put on the offensive line because the defense played pretty well. I mean, holding the Kansas City Chiefs to 23 points is really good. I mean, they... Besides the first half, I mean, that's when they gave up the most points it was thirteen—in the first half. And that, I mean, that that was still a very good game. The defense played very well, but that offense, that offensive line, just could not stop that defensive line or any pressure as, at all. And when you can't stop them, that's like you said, that's where all the issues come in. I mean, yeah. the biggest issue for the Bengals was the two interceptions Joe Burrow threw, which again came from him being under distress.
0: Yeah, Uh, he, you know, they kind of got screwed over by, obviously, the injuries to the offensive line is what is causing these problems, but we hadn't seen their offensive line play well, like, pretty much all season until last week when they were still missing these three guys. But, you know, regardless of that, uh, it's just... It's mistakes like this and and you know weak spots that differentiate Super Bowl teams from playoff teams, and that's what it was here. The Chiefs are a Super Bowl team, and the position that the Bengals were in, they weren't.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think the one thing uh, that I noticed from the Bengals is the their biggest thing was they could not get Mike Hilton involved in the in their pass rush, and that's really where they seem to. Uh, flourish in some previous games and why they did so well because he was, he's a very good blitzing uh, nickel back. But when he's, uh, cannot, when they have to put him back in coverage and they can't, uh, send pressure with him, that's where I think another spot where they, uh, they don't do well is when he's not able to get, uh, to, uh, pressure the quarterback.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just a little bit of wrap up from both of these games. Um, little fun stuff. The Kelsey brothers facing off in the the Super Bowl. Their first set of brothers to play against each other in the Super Bowl, which is kind of crazy. I feel like that should have happened at some other point. But um, they're the first. I I think it's going to be hilarious to hear them on their podcast together. Uh, I'd love to know what kind of conversations they're going to be having. But um, anything else you want to talk about from these two games?
1: um nothing much uh, i just think mainly here is uh i i think this super bowl is going to be very interesting and i think it's going to be very interesting to watch Patrick mahomes uh still obviously you could tell on a lot of passes and a lot of times when he would run the ball you could tell he was uh he was feeling it that uh, high ankle sprain so that's going to be very interesting to see how he gets rehabbed these next two weeks before the super bowl
0: yeah Uh, I do think that that'll be a huge factor in this game. But um, we'll just have to wait and see. In the meantime, we've got a Pro Bowl to look forward to. Or, I guess, the Pro Bowl games to look forward to. Um, This new format, I I don't know if this is permanent. Uh, I believe it's still being considered like a replacement or a a substitution or something. But I I don't know if this is the permanent... Pro Bowl setup, but for this year, you've got the skills competitions and the game day events. Skills competitions will occur throughout the week of the games from Tuesday through Saturday, non-football activities like dodgeball, uh, best catch, quarterback drills, things like that. The game day events will include a couple of hours. Uh, That's really all it says. This is from the NFL the game day events will include roughly three hours of seven-on-seven flag football, uh, no offensive or defensive linemen. Uh, this is going to be weird, uh, especially because of the quarterbacks that are going to be in the Pro Bowl that we uh, learned about today in the NFC. Uh, I'm blanking on the third one, but Kurt Cousins and who was the, uh, Kirk cousins and Jared Goff? I don't know why I can't think of the other one, but then in the AFC, you have Trevor Lawrence, which is fine. Derek Carr, which is interesting. And Tyler Huntley, which is horrible.
1: Yeah, this is the, a very interesting lineup they have for quarterbacks that I I can, I don't know how they decided on them, but, Very interesting, needless to say.
0: Yeah, very. But um, I'm pulling up that quarterback for the NFC. Oh, it's Geno. uh, Geno Smith and and Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff uh, in the NFC. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Um, I really don't know what to look forward to here. I think it's going to be fun. Peyton and Eli are the coaches, uh, Eli for the NFC, of course, and Peyton for the AFC. They're going to make it fun, of course. Everybody kind of loves Peyton and Eli now. So it's going to be a, a weird year for the Pro Bowl, but it's probably going to be better than watching, you know, a bunch of guys not want to play a football game.
1: Yeah, probably. I think this will this will be much more interesting if you can get players like Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. You know, some of the top quarterbacks right now to go out and play, you know, sw- sling the ball around on a seven on seven. That's, that's like, you know, where the fun part of seven on seven is, is since there's no quarterback rush, the quarterback can sit back there as long as he wants. Yeah. So I think it'd be more, f- I mean, not to hate on the quarterbacks in the game, but like, I think it'd be much more fun if you could get quarterbacks, like I said, some of the top quarterbacks right now, like, Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, uh, Justin Herbert, you know, just to go out there and just sling the freaking ball around.
0: Yeah, I think that's, of course, what we're looking for. And, like, you know, it's weird to see the NFC where Brady and Rogers both weren't invited to the Pro Bowl because they both played pretty bad this season, and neither of them are in the Super Bowl. And... I, I this is probably the first year that we're not seeing Rogers or Brady in the Pro Bowl in a long time.
1: Yeah, this is very interesting that we you know we don't not seeing either even in the postseason at all. You know this this is the first in literal years.
0: Yeah, and, and I want to say for some reason that like is this Kirk Cousins like eighth Pro Bowl? Is it something like ridiculous like that where he just kind of always sneaks in? It, it wouldn't make sense. It's it's a very Kirk Cousins thing to just like slide into a bunch of Pro Bowls for no reason.
1: Yeah, that 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 is so something I can see.
0: But let's get into a little bit of news. So we kind of talked about this during uh the, the breakdown of the games, but uh Brock Purdy, Torn AC or UCL will be out for six months. We can kind of brush past that. We already talked about that a while. But um A little bit of coaching news has, you know, kind of come out throughout this uh, last couple days, really. Uh, The Cowboys and Kellen Moore decided to part ways. Uh, I believe it was on Sunday night or Monday morning, and then less than 24 hours later, the Chargers announced that Kellen Moore would be their new offensive coordinator. I really like this move. I think that Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator. He was, like, for probably two years, uh, once he went from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator with the Cowboys, he was like a serious guy to like be in consideration for head coaching jobs, never got one of them, and now he's moving to a place where I like the offense better. I think he has a better quarterback. He's got a lot of weapons. I'd like to see you know what he can do with a different team.
1: Yeah, I'm very intrigued to see uh what he can do out there cuz the Chargers need something different, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, they needed a a change of pace. There's obviously problems going on, but they have just talent spread throughout that roster. You know, wh- whether it be obviously Justin Herbert has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league the last, you know, 2 years or Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, guys that kind of showed up this year, like uh, Joshua Palmer. Uh, obviously, Austin Eckler is a top running back when he's healthy. You've got offensive linemen that are really. Uh, Rashawn Slater has been fantastic in these, uh, I believe, two years now that he's been in the league. There is bright spots on this Chargers offense. Just seems like they haven't been able to fully get it going, and you know, part of that is due to injury. But I think that you know a change of scenery when it comes to the coaching staff, is going to help them out.
1: Yeah, I, I I have to agree. I think that's really going to be a big point there is the change of scenery. that That is definitely something that is needed out there, just something a little bit to change it up.
0: Yeah, and uh, another coordinator job that is likely going to get taken up, but we'll see, is the Dolphins. Um they're looking for a defensive coordinator, and it appears that they want to hire Vic Fangio, former head coach of the Denver Broncos, but some are saying that Fangio might hold out uh with hold off on the Dolphins offer because of the opening in San Fran, which we'll talk about in a second. Um because, you know, Fangio I, I believe he coached there prior. And it appears that he's interested in returning to the 49ers. So um, we'll have to see what happens with that. I think Vic Fangio is a good defensive coordinator. His head coaching job didn't work out with the Broncos, mainly because that Broncos team had no talent.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) there's really not too much you can do when there's no talent on the field. On top of him uh, holding out, is uh, I don't blame him. I mean, I think I'd rather be at the Niners than uh, Miami because, as I kind of said earlier, the Niners have the best linebackers in the league. They have one of the best defenses year in and year out in the league. So I, I would much rather go to the Niners than I would to Miami.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's a, a much much more intriguing job to take. With the talent that's there, obviously, you know, we've talked about him multiple times with Bosa and Eric Armstead and obviously Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, Traverius Ward, Jimmy Ward, Talanoa Hufanga, and, you know, the list goes on, surprisingly, with how many names I said. But, yeah, there's more guys. And if he wants that job, and I think it's kind of his to take because... Getting into the next one, D'Amico Ryans, as of just a couple of hours ago, is the head coach of the Houston Texans.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good pickup there for uh, the Houston Texans.
0: Yeah, I I was kind of surprised that D'Amico Ryans was like their number one guy throughout this whole process because I feel like what the Texans should have looked for, in my opinion – was an offensive-minded head coach. Obviously, I think that D'Amico Ryans can bring in a good offensive coordinator to run that offense, but there's going to be changes coming. They're most likely going to draft a quarterback. They're, they've got a young running back with Damian Pierce, and they had one of the worst offenses in the league last year. I would have thought they were going to be looking more offensive-minded with their head coaching job.
1: Yeah, definitely down somewhere like the Houston Texans where they do they do have a just a pretty bad offense. You think they'd want to bring someone in that uh would be able to f- uh fix that, but uh you know, we'll see this year uh who he brings in to make to be his head uh sorry, his offense coordinator and who he decides to um and how he decides to go about it here in the draft and in free agency.
0: Yeah. I think it'll be an interesting off season for the Texans because look, D'Amico Ryan's wants to be a contender. He's been a contender the last couple of years with the Forty ers and he's gonna want to get off to a hot start. And if he can, uh, that that would be amazing. I think it's really hard sometimes for, uh, you know, a first time head coach to really sway guys to come in, but. Especially when it comes to recruiting defensive players, whether that be in free agency or in the draft, he is, you know, the best guy. Right now, there's not a defensive coordinator that is more qualified than him.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's had the best defense, what, the last two, three years?
0: It definitely one of the top the last three years, but in my opinion, the best defense this year.
1: Oh, easily the best defense this year.
0: And, you know, to get to the next one, Sean Payton comes out of retirement and is officially the head coach of the Denver Broncos. And there is a lot of work to be done, but I think they made the right choice in going with a guy that is very experienced. He is a Super Bowl winning head coach already. He's worked with guys for a long time, and this Broncos team is a project But I think Sean Payton's impact could change things a ton.
1: Yeah, something we kind of talked about uh, earlier uh, with the change of scenery is, I mean, we saw how he did with the Saints. He won a Super Bowl, and then on top of that, he had one of the best teams of the 2010s. Though he could only get the job uh, Super Bowl done once, he still had one of the better teams of every season. And I think something... uh, it's gonna be good for him is going to the Broncos and a new change of pace, you know, and seeing how he and seeing what he can do there as opposed to everything he did at uh, New Orleans.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that this is definitely gonna be worth it in the long run for the Broncos to bring in a guy that's experienced uh, with all the changes that happened last off season, and I think it was pretty obvious that Nathaniel Hackett was just. Aaron Rodgers' bait, which the Packers didn't bite on. Um, it, it wasn't very surprising that they ended up going with a guy with experience, but um, they also did have to give up their 29th overall pick in the draft to the Saints because of um, the clause in Sean Payton's contract because like he retired, and so he's still technically like theirs because he hasn't fully served his full contract whatever the case will uh is they had to give up this 29th overall pick which is tough the Broncos need a lot but i i think it's 100% worth it giving up your first round pick it's late in the first round for uh one of the best head coaches in you know the last 15 years
1: yeah i definitely think that is worth it and it, it, it may may he may not make you know bring him to the AFC Championship, the first year or anything, but I, I do think he'll make a big difference this first season, and we'll see.
0: Yeah, uh, a little bit more head coaching news. The Cardinals have requested an interview with Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Emmer. Amar- uh, I can never say his last name. Ana Ana Rumo Ana Ramo, I don't know, but he's you know kind of flown under the radar. Uh, for these head coaching positions. I think the Cardinals were very happy with what they saw from his defense um, throughout the playoffs and throughout these past couple seasons. And uh, I think he would be a good option. I just think there's probably better options for the Cardinals out there for their head coaching job.
1: Yeah, it's always hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, this person's going to be a great uh, head coach, this, that, and the other. Especially in the NFL, you never really know how someone's going to be as a head coach. And I think, uh, again, I think it's much different in the NFL as opposed to uh, college or high school or other levels. But, um, yeah, I think uh, there might be better options than uh, th- that uh, particular defense coordinator for the Bengals. I also don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try it.
0: <laughs> I want to say it's uh, Lou An- Anarumo.
1: Uh yeah but I I'm very intrigued to see uh how that goes for him. I'm still and very interested I, I this is a little off topic but I'm very interested to see what um Cliff Kingsbury will actually end up doing. If he ever will return to coaching or if he's just going to take that money they gave him and just retire on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. He's a little busy right now in Thailand or whatever he's doing. Um <laughs> but let's talk uh, just a couple more coaching things. uh, And then I want to give you a little interesting stat I saw uh, on Reddit earlier, but uh, so it looks like right now, uh, Brian Flores is a candidate for the Vikings defensive coordinator job. Um, Look, Brian Flores got totally screwed in Miami and then got screwed with the giants, you know, hiring Dable though. I think the giants made a great decision hiring Brian Dable Brian Flores most definitely got fucked over in both of those situations. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think, you know, I I believe right now he's like a special assistant or something uh for the Steelers, but we I think we all kind of knew like he was a great head coach with the Dolphins, but you know, it's going to he's going to have to build back up to being a head coach and I think that being the defensive coordinator for a team that, you know, was what 12 and or, what, 14-3? and three? This Yeah, season, something like that. Like, it's a phenomenal year. Going in and being the defensive coordinator for a team whose obvious problem was the defense could help him get back on track to, you know, getting a new head coaching job. Yeah, I
1: definitely think he, he will end up having a uh, second chance uh, one day.
0: Yeah, he he's too talented as, you know, a, a defensive coordinator, of course, but as as well as a head coach to uh, not get another opportunity at it. So, you know, hopefully that one works out. And then um, this one you know, I probably should have brought up before we said that Sean Payton was confirmed, but Ian Rappaport was on the Pat McAfee show and um, said that Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh were still options for the Broncos prior to – um them confirming that signing of Sean Payton as their head coach. I thought Jim Harbaugh was done. I thought he was committed. So why are the Broncos still saying that he was an option?
1: Yeah, obviously there's something a little uh something more there we didn't uh know about with Harbaugh, but uh you know, I have some strong opinions on him and you know, uh but again, he he'll do what's best for him. And, uh, obviously he thought, uh, keeping that door open to the NFL, but silently was a good call.
0: Yeah. Well, we know how the, the college football guys go when it comes to their coaches getting snagged by the NFL and that'll, uh, you know, bring us to the last kind of bit of NFL news I've got, which is that Todd Munkin, uh, interviewed, I believe today, for the Bucks' offensive coordinator job, a job that he previously held. And um, he also, I believe it was on Sunday, maybe before that, uh, interviewed for the Ravens offensive coordinator job.
1: Um, Something I'm very surprised about with uh, Todd Munkin is he's not really looking for head coaching jobs uh, in college because there are some that he could potentially get. And he's been one of the best offensive coordinators uh, these past few years at Georgia. I mean, uh, this season alone, you can see uh, many times how he adjusted and uh, made it better for his team. Yeah. But uh, I guess if you, he wants to go to the pros, then the best way to get to the pros is by getting a offensive coordinator job there. Then the next opening, you know, he has a, uh, does good. You know, he'll be uh, a possible ne- uh, candidate for a next head coaching job.
0: Yeah, I think this puts him in a great position. I also agree. I thought he was going to look for head coaching jobs in college. But, you know, with how outstanding he's been at Georgia, it doesn't really come as a surprise that he's getting NFL attention, especially with the offenses he runs. Um, you know, it's it, it, he runs an offense that translates well to the NFL, and it, it just kind of makes sense. The Bucks need help especially with the offense, you know, their future is very indefinite and we'll just have to see what happens there. I I, I don't know how well he would do with the Ravens. Um, I think that they're in a really bad spot, you know, kind of both teams are, especially if both of their quarterbacks leave. But I think that either job Todd Munkin will do a great job at.
1: Yeah, he just, again, is obviously a very good coordinator and football coach. So wherever he ends up, he's—I think he'll do a good job.
0: Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I—I I really thought he was going to take a head coaching job in college. I actually—I really thought that he was going to get the Auburn job.
1: Yeah, I think he would have been pretty good at Auburn, but you know they—they they got uh, uh, Gus Malzahn, two point <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they're literally the same person.
0: Did I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like Auburn should just go full heel and hire just a bunch of coaches that broke the rules. Like they need to pick up like Les Miles and Jeremy Pruitt.
1: Oh yeah, no, we ne- they need a whole like WWE heel turn because yeah. honestly, in my mind, Auburn's always been like a bad guy team. So why not? You know, like they had, like they you know they got Cam Newton after he got kicked out of Florida for stealing a laptop or whatever. And then, you know, it's like they've always, you know, had like those guys. So why not just go turn full heel and become.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. And that'll segue us into some college football news. Speaking of Jeremy Pruitt, Nick Saban has reached out to Jeremy Pruitt for the Alabama defensive coordinator job. I, I kind of want to get your take on this because Jeremy Pruitt just, what, a couple of years ago. 2020. Yeah, was the head coach of Tennessee and then gets fired, then, you know, the McDonald the McDonald bags thing happens. What what do you think about this?
1: My biggest thing with it is Jeremy Pruitt is obviously a great head coach. Or was not a was is a great coach. I mean, look at what he did when he was the head coach at Tennessee. He turned them around. And then of course, you know, he had the situation, but he's a good head, he's a good coach and he knows what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, he had a I, – I don't think he's stupid enough to have been fully a part of the whole McDonald's situation, the whole McDonald's bag situation. But I do think that he deserves a second chance in coaching because, you know, sometimes crap – you know, stuff happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, I just – I think it's funny that, like, every year Nick Saban just brings in some – you know, former head coach somewhere. It's like the Bama coordinator jobs have become, like, last chance you for coaches.
1: It, it quite literally has because he ha- – I can't remember the last time he's hired a coach or a- anything that wasn't an ex uh, – wasn't an ex head coach. Because, I mean, that's uh, – I was watching something with him and he was talking about how he liked – he used to like to hire – um you know, like young guys and all that. And I was like, I can't remember the last time. I guess Pete Golding would count for a young coach that he uh, brought up. But, I mean, especially offensively, he's hired mostly ex-head, head, ex-head coaches who have been in two years, gone on and done their own thing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we'll see what happens. And, you know, earlier today I took the notes that, you know, Bama was interviewing Washington offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb. And then later it comes out that I, I that Grubbs just didn't want to take the job. I'm kind of interested with that because, you know, what could have happened there? It, I, I don't understand turning that job down. He probably just wanted to stick with um, – I'm blinking on his name right now. Michael PX? No, uh, not the quarterback, the uh, coach that mm. – uh, I don't know why I'm completely blanking on the uh, the coach's name, but um, I thought that he would probably want to just stay with him would be the reason he wouldn't leave Washington. I believe he's followed him from, um, like, they were at, like, Sioux Falls, like an NAIA program together, and then went to, like, Fresno State and Eastern Michigan and now Washington together. I'm sure that's why he didn't want to leave But how the hell do you turn down the head coaching job, or sorry, the offensive coordinator job of Alabama?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I mean, I think you're right. It definitely goes for him being uh, with this, the bond he has with this uh, coach he's at with at Washington State. Because if you look at a lot of coaches, they most coaches do follow a specific head coach around for most of their career until they get the opportunity to be a head coach. And you know, he's probably sitting there in Washington, like, hey, why should I move if I know my next move will is instead of a lateral move, my next move is gonna be a head coach somewhere. So why move again? Move my whole family from Washington to Alabama to let's just say in two, three years, he does really good Alabama and gets the head gets the head coaching offer mm-hmm. somewhere. You know, why do that when he just waited out at Washington and not have to move?
0: Yeah, that that's fair. And that uh the coach of Washington's name is Kalen De I completely forgot that name. But um Let's talk about a little bit more college football news. Uh, Something pretty funny to me, honestly. Stetson Bennett was arrested in Dallas, Texas for public intoxication. Um, This isn't surprising whatsoever. This is very Stetson.
1: I saw uh, I saw a TikTok, and it was like, <laughs> he's always got some crazy, stupid ideas. Like, yeah, the other day he called me at 4 in the morning, asked me to go play Ding Dong Dish. Man, you're 25, and literally that is that is.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Let's like, admit it.
1: He was drunk, knocking on doors at 25 years old.
0: <laughs> yeah, which I'm pretty sure the story is that he thought it was his friend's house. It wasn't, and so he was just knocking on a stranger's door, and he was just super drunk. But hey, if he did uh, than
1: or uh, Chad Kelly though,
0: yeah, that's true. Swag. <laughs> swag. Yeah. He could
1: have ended up sleeping on a, a random person's couch, you know?
0: Yeah. Or you could do much worse things that other college football players have done with their drunk, like Joe Mixon, Baker Mayfield, <laughs> um, true things that they've done. We're not going to get into that, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, if you know anybody that is uh, active in the nightlife of the university of Georgia, you've probably seen videos of Stetson Bennett just blacked-out drunk in downtown Athens.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm saying Stetson so Bennett she's going to end up back in Athens one day living off of the... <laughs> oh, yeah, back. dude.
0: He's going to be never... like a... His face is going to be on billboards for, like, the local dental hygienist.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's... Hey, and hey, that's a great life.
0: Yeah, man. I'm. I'm sure. He could just put his name on anything and it will blow up in Athens, Georgia. Oh yeah. Uh so we had a couple of schedule releases uh throughout the week. So the ACC released their schedule I believe on Monday. Um the Big 12 released their schedule on Tuesday. And I want to say that is all of the Power 5. Maybe we're still waiting on the Big 10 or Pac-12. Pac-12, but um we got most of the Power Five. I I do want to know if, if you know anything about this, Brock. Why does the SEC schedule come out so goddamn early compared to everybody else? Because the SEC schedule, I want to say, came out in like early September.
1: Yeah, like ours came out during the football season, I believe. And yeah. I mean, heck, probably because it gets. I actually don't know. That is a great question. Uh, maybe just you know keep people talking, getting you know looking forward to the future. Um, But, I mean, I guess they're ahead of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, it makes sense. But, yeah, it's so weird that they just, you know, announced there's like six months before everybody. Um, Let's talk just a couple more things in the college football world. A little headline coming out of Tuscaloosa. Nick Saban reportedly rejected two players who were searching for $1.3 million combined in NIL money, and allegedly it was a top recruit and a current starting offensive lineman.
1: See, I love this because, you know, my whole life I've heard, oh, Nick Saban, he he pays his recruits, this, that, and the other. And this is a prime example of him being uh, just showing he's never done, that's never been his thing. People go to him because he is the greatest head coach, and they know if they go to him, they will have the best shot of going to the NFL.
0: Yeah, well, and he said, like in in a statement, like he's like, "I'm not, you, you don't come here for NIL money." And, and um, and he said about the recruit doing it, he was like, "You're not getting any NIL money until you come here and prove it." Yeah, Which I think <laughs> is the best way to put it, you know. And, and I think mm-hmm. that you know that that little statement right there is a little slide at Florida losing uh, uh, Jalen Rashada with, you know, promising him $13 million before he stepped foot on campus and then just pulling it out from under him. And then he's just like, no, I'm good. I'll leave. Yeah,
1: I don't like – there needs to be more uh, rules and regulations in against – for NIL, I mean, because, you know, I I think it's fine that it's there. I'm not going to complain about it being there because, you know, good for the players. They can make money for, you know, their – for their uh, gift. So let them do that. But with that being said, there needs to be more rules because you are going to have things like Florida, you know, promising a number one recruit $13.5 million or whatever. And it's like, come on.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. And yeah, I agree. There should be more control over it because the thing is, is it, it, at a certain point, it doesn't become recruiting when. Oh, you know, Lane Kiffin or whoever, whatever head coach sits down in your living room and you're like, all right, how much money can you give me? Because this school is going to give me this much. That's not what recruiting yeah. is. That's called a negotiation. You're supposed to do that when you're in the league.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something else that sits apart Alabama and Georgia from most other programs uh, is they don't do that. They say they, you know, and I think it's just the Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and obviously the Nick Ab- Saban <laughs> the that they don't, they don't deal with that crap. They say, all right, you're going to come here. You're going to prove it. Then you're going to earn it with yeah. a lot of these other coaches, you know, they feel like they're having to play catch up. So they're going, Oh yeah, yeah. You could debt. Uh, like, I feel like that's a good example with like Ohio state. And like when Quinn Ewers went there is he was like, Oh, I can make the most money if I go to Ohio state and enroll early. He did what was there for a season and transfers away. Yes, yeah, so I think it's I, I. I think that's just dumb, but um, yeah, I just cannot get over the just how it all works. There needs to be a lot more rules in there, yeah. and I don't know how you're gonna do it. But the people who get paid a lot more money than me. Need to figure that out.
0: <laughs> exactly, you're only the one of the lowest levels of NCAA employee.
1: Yeah, I, I am <laughs> literally the lowest you can get.
0: All right, well, I do want to round out some of this college football news with a little a little fun fact I saw, and I want you to listen loud and clear here, Brock. In the past 20 years, Kirby Smart has coached in 40% of all national title games.
1: That is insane.
0: Yeah, so at one time with LSU in 03-04 as the DB's coach, Four times at Alabama from 2008 to 2016 as the D.C. and assistant head coach. Three times as the head coach of the Bulldogs. And he's been on the winning side seven times.
1: Yeah, that is an insane statistic.
0: Yeah, a ridiculous coaching career from Kirby Smart, you know, pre-being a head coach. Now he's got back-to-back natties, and he's looking like, you know, top two.
1: Yeah, he's looking to be... The, you know, the next coach to beat with Nick Saban going out the door here probably the next few years after his next title. I, I, I would he, – he's looking, you know, like I said, the next guy. So, I'm very intrigued to see if anybody's going in the – is going to be able to stand up next, uh, against him.
0: Yeah. It will most definitely be interesting to watch the course of Kirby Smart's career because, you know, at the moment we're witnessing greatness and it, there's no denying it. Um. Mm-hmm. Let's get into this top ten quarterbacks list. Um this is kind of be the the first of, of multiple weeks of top ten lists from the twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three college football season. Uh we're starting it out with quarterbacks and I, I feel like we should just go ahead and get into it. Let's do our number tens first. Who you got at number ten, Brock? Um
1: would you like to do an honorable mention first, or no? Let's two? do the honorable
0: mentions last, so that people don't know <laughs> who we left out.
1: All right, for my number ten, I put Bo Nix uh, of the Oregon Ducks.
0: As did I. I look. I think Bo Nix was really good this year. I just I take his performances with a grain of salt, and, and it's not yeah. even like a, a bias against the Pac-12. It's more just that, like he he was very good, but I think he could have done more.
1: Yeah. I think he, I mean, I say it about a lot of players. I just don't think he really has that it factor in him. He's very good, but when it comes down to it, I don't think he's, you know, he you know, he's not 99 overall clutch power, you know?
0: Yeah. I I get what you're saying. And Look, when it came down to later in the season, you know, you know, following that Georgia game, which was just bad, really bad, um, Bo Nix looked like a Heisman candidate uh, up until like the last couple weeks of the season, and then it just seemed like they couldn't do anything. They they lost some pretty big games. They lose to what? They lost to uh, Washington, which kind of derailed the entire course of their season. And just a couple other games where he didn't look phenomenal. And though, you know, he had one of the highest completion percentages in college football at 71.9%. I just feel like when it came down to the game winning situations, he could have done better. And I think that's what other players on this list did better than him.
1: Yeah, I fully agree.
0: All right. Well, I'm I'm kind of surprised that we <laughs> agreed on that number ten. Let's get into number nine. Who you got, Brock?
1: I put uh Michael Penix Jr. of uh Washington at number uh nine.
0: I like it. Okay. And then number nine, I put Drake May. I kind of feel like I put him a little bit low, you know, now that I'm looking at it, but his team just wasn't Good enough for me to say that he should be higher.
1: Um, yeah, I, I can see that. I re- I like Drake May. He, I think he had a really good season. Um, I think for me, the reason I I'm not well, the re- <laughs> he is on this list and I put him higher than nine. I'll go ahead and spoil that, I suppose. And I think it is because his team wasn't you know full of superstars or anything, and he looked. Very good to be a true freshman.
0: Yeah. I, I think well, I, I believe he's a a red shirt freshman, but nonetheless a freshman, getting his first kind of starting minutes or plays. Um I think what made him so good, other than the fact that he was fourth in passing yeah. yards um in the FBS was that he also had six hundred and ninety eight rushing yards in twenty twenty two.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I'll, I'll save most of mine for him uh, when when I get down to him. But yeah, he was a good quarterback. But for me, putting a uh, Michael Penix series, I thought he was good. He, uh, I think, I believe he finished uh, number two in the uh, FBS in passing. Uh, with what was it over about forty two hundred yards?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, uh, 4, actually, it was forty forty six.
1: Yeah, so he ended with 4,600 yards and only eight interceptions, only gave up five sacks. I mean, that is a very impressive season with 31 touchdowns. That is a very, very good season by him. Uh, I I liked him. He did good. But I think for him, for me, I kind of like kept him down on the lower end because he didn't really, um, his team just wasn't all that great. And I think, if I was looking more individually, I think I should have put him a little higher. Now that I'm looking at it, look look at now. I kind of wish I would put him much higher, (laughs) but, um, uh, he's a, just, he's still a a good player.
0: Yeah. I I kind of feel the same way. And I'll just go ahead and give my number eight. My number eight is Michael Penix. And, Look, uh, Washington wasn't a team that much of us watched up until towards the end of the season. They ended at 11-2, and two, which is fantastic. But, like, you know, if you're not really on the radar all season, people don't typically, you know, keep up with you. And I think that's just kind of where it fell to with Michael Penix. And, you know, coming off of a couple of, pretty rough years at uh Indiana before this he wasn't very impressive there but the numbers are undeniable in, in this past season the the same numbers you already said the 4600 yards the you know 31 touchdowns eight interceptions only five sacks uh, a 151.3 passer rating and an 81.1 QBR they're undeniable stats i think that kind of the same thing that you said where Okay, well, his team was very good for, you know, Washington standards in, you know, going 11-2 is nothing to scoff at, but it's still, you know, it, it, he's not playing the best defenses every week. I'm not going to say that the Pac-12 doesn't play defense. I know that that's kind of the, the the bias against them is that, oh, well, they don't play against real defenses, but you get what I'm saying. He does play against defenses. They just don't happen to be, you know, SEC level or Big Ten level defenses.
1: Yeah, for a prime example of just the difference is the Heisman winning quarterback who played in the Pac-12, he lost to Tulane, a group of five school. Granted, they are a good school, but still, he couldn't do anything. not? Okay, he did pretty good in that game, but like he still could not lead his team to victory against a group of five team.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brock, I want to hear your number eight.
1: My number eight is Jordan Travis from Florida State.
0: I like it. I'm glad he made the list. Uh, he's on my list, just not quite yet.
1: I think he was – he had a great season. He led with a lot of confidence, and uh, that, that was something I really liked of him is he was very confident. Most every single time he stepped on the field, there was confidence and – his entire team believed in him. That's really what kind of set him apart for me. Is he didn't have as many passing yards as some of the other quarterbacks. Only thirty-two thousand. Uh, sorry, thirty-two hundred with, um, sorry, uh, twenty-four, um, twenty-four touchdowns and five interceptions. So that the low uh, interceptions is what really uh, another reason he made my list. Is he had? Um, oh shoot! I just lost his statistic. Five interceptions. <laughs> Yeah, he had 24 touchdowns and five interceptions. That's very good. And for throwing over 3200 yards, that that's a very good season. And I think the thing for me that I like the most about him is he really did just exude confidence every time he went on the field and he as well had a great passing completed com- completion percentage.
0: Yeah. And I'll talk to jo- I'll talk about Jordan Travis plenty when I get to him. But uh let's go ahead and say our number 7s. I've got Stetson Bennett.
1: I have uh, Drake May at number seven. All
0: right. So yeah, we, I have, we already kind of talked about Drake May. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead and, you know, state your case.
1: I kind of didn't say too much on him because I, I had him a little air on the list. And I put him here because, like I said, he was a true freshman this season. And as a true freshman, he red did. Or, or, or Sorry, not a true freshman, but a redshirt freshman. He had a great season as a redshirt freshman. <clears throat> Oh, my goodness. My apologies. I mean, he finished with 4,332 yards, uh, eight, uh, 38 touchdowns, the seven interceptions, uh, although he did have 40 sacks, which I don't think... <laughs> I think if we, we take out these 40 sacks, that's a big change in how uh, he he probably would have done this season. Uh, probably maybe more passing yards, maybe more touchdowns, who knows, but uh, I mean, he had one heck of a season.
0: Yeah, he he was fantastic throughout this season. I think it's just kind of unfortunate that North Carolina wasn't as good as they probably could have been. Um, you know, those 40 sacks, uh, I'd assume a lot of those could be chucked up on that offensive line. But I think Mac Brown has found a, a real nice guy to have uh, over these next two years.
1: Yes, I 100% agree with you.
0: And then – Stetson Bennett, for me, you can't deny the results. And sixth in passing yards was 4,100. He only threw seven interceptions. He was fourth in QBR. And then on top of it, he was, you know, solid when it came to the running game. He obviously, he's not, I wouldn't consider him like a scrambler or like really even dual threat, but. He's very good at at reading the defense in the red zone. That's where he flourishes. He rushed for two touchdowns in the TCU championship game, rushed for a touchdown against Ohio State, and then, you know, in total had 10 throughout the season. That is extremely impressive out of a quarterback that I think a lot of people just overlooked even though he won a national championship last year.
1: Yeah, uh I have to agree with uh, all those points on him.
0: Yeah, he he was honestly phenomenal. And a Heisman finalist. He, of course he had to make this list. I just don't think I could put him higher.
1: Yeah, I, I disagree with you there a little bit, and we'll get into that here uh, in just a few. All
0: right, well, let's but, talk. Uh, uh, oh, anything else you got to say?
1: Oh, no, I was going to go on to my number six.
0: Yeah, give it to me.
1: Oh, so for my number six, and I put in here, only because he just got completely dismantled in the national championship game. I put Max Duggan here <clears throat> because, I mean, he had a great season. Uh, you know, no one expected him to start. Came out, had one heck of a year. I mean, in that championship game, the not the cha- uh, not the national championship game, but the Big 12 championship game, the last two drives, he put his entire team on his back let him down the field and he looked great. But I think I don't think he's better than my top five quarterbacks. And I'm saying that because he lost to one of them and he just, I think he uh, something that he really needs a little more experience as a starting quarterback.
0: Yeah. And and, you know, he's not really going to get that experience because he's going to the draft, but uh, you know, we'll see. And uh, he was your number six, correct? Correct. Okay. So my number six, Florida State's Jordan Travis. And look, you know, you kind of gave everything that we need to talk about with Jordan Travis is just his ability to win football games. They played a really close game against Clemson, and then he was banged up in the North Carolina State one. So it kind of threw things off. Um, but you know, his results were undeniable. That's the thing with Jordan Travis is that he is a phenomenal player. And I don't think people saw it last year because, you know, there was a little bit of a quarterback battle between him and McKenzie Milton, but when he was in the game, it seemed like he ran the ball a lot more last year. Like in 2021, he had a hundred more rushing yards in like two or three less games played. But yeah, 2022, he came out and just kind of shut everybody up. Uh, He, you know, they beat LSU in in week one. They, you know, beat teams that some people didn't think they were going to beat. They also blew some teams out of the water like Syracuse and Miami. And then any year that you can get the win over Florida is fantastic. And you know the way he played in that bowl game, a close, close win. He still played amazing. Four hundred and eighteen yards, two touchdowns, fifty rushing yards. Like, he is a guy that I'm looking at for Heisman next year.
1: Yeah, I was actually going to say if I'm if this was a list of quarterbacks, I'm the most excited to see returning the top quarterbacks coming. I would put him at number one.
0: Yeah. I'm very excited to see what he's got next year, especially with how good Florida State's been in the transfer portal.
1: Yeah, I think Florida State has a great season uh, this upcoming year, and I'm very excited to watch.
0: All right. Well, let's get into our top fives. Brock, who you got at five?
1: I put here, I put Stetson Bennett, and that for a few reasons. uh, You kind of pointed out his numbers don't lie. He had a very good season this season. Um, season season. He he played very well, and he, I I may I've said it a lot. He is kind of he's kind of a game manager. He's you know not anything too amazing, but at the end of the day, he had four thousand one hundred twenty-seven yards and twenty-seven touchdowns, only seven interceptions. Yeah, that's a good good game. As well as he had a sixty-eight point three percent passing completion.
0: Yes, that was, was undeniably he's he's just a winner. That's what he is.
1: Yeah. And as well as he won the national championship again. And so I think that's, I think he should be number five. I don't know if I can put him any higher over in the top four, because I kind of said before he is in a great system and it, it was very hard for him not to, you know, do great in that system.
0: Yeah. I really like that. Uh, My number five was Max Duggan. Um, Look, even though like, his stats don't really jump off the page. Twelfth in passing yards is pretty good. Just about thirty-seven hundred passing yards, thirty-two touchdowns, eight interceptions. But I think it was just his like X factor ability that made him such an intriguing player to watch. Um, though you know the loss to Georgia was brutal. It was really bad, but. He had, like, legendary wins. And the amount of ranked opponents they beat throughout this year, it started off, and, like, a couple of these teams, of course, didn't, you know, end up being ranked by the end of it, but went over Oklahoma 55-24. Oklahoma was number 19, beat a number 19 Kansas team, number 8 Oklahoma State, number 17 Kansas State, number 18 Texas, and then, you know, they lose to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship, but bounced back and beat Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl for the college football uh, playoff semifinal. And you can't question his toughness. That's what it is with Max Duggan. 423 rushing yards, but like, you know, like the Oklahoma game, 116 rushing yards in that one, 110 rushing yards against Kansas state in that uh, Big 12 championship game and 57 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns against Michigan. Like these are these are teams that were very good throughout this year and Max Duggan just absolutely cut him up.
1: Yeah, Max Duggan was one of the better quarterbacks this year. Um I just kept him down on my list because Stetson Bennett just beat him senseless.
0: Yeah, that that's 100% fair and I do think that I, what you said earlier, where Max Duggan probably needed more time, um, is true. The problem is, you know, he's a senior, and he just didn't get his opportunity to shine until this year. And, I, I you know, he uses opportunity as well as he could have. Uh, a Heisman finalist, I want to say he was second in the Heisman voting, and he 100% deserved it and, you know, showed to the nation that... Maybe he is going to be a guy that we look for in the NFL. He's got a good build, 6'2", 210. Um, not too sure of his hand size. I know that that's the biggest measurable. But um, I- I'm excited to see where Max Duggan's career goes.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, a later-round draft pick but then ends up becoming a – big-time backup and poten- potentially a starting quarterback one day.
0: Yeah, he's he got the talent to do that. It's just, you know, will he be in the right situation? Uh, but we can talk a little bit more about that as we get closer to the draft. Let's get into this top four. Who do you have at four, Brock?
1: At uh, number four, I have Hendon Hooker.
0: All right. And my number four is Bryce Young. All right. um,
1: I... <laughs> I kind of went opposite here with you because I like Hendon Hooker. I think he would have been higher on my list if he did not get injured and he could have finished out his season.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Because I mean, he had one heck of a season. Uh, I mean, even last season he was good. He he did really well. I just think we really missed out not letting him, not getting to see him in the last few games
0: yeah I think that definitely would have helped his case. He probably would have won Heisman and you know won a couple of other awards had it not been for the a c l injury, but mm-hmm. you know what he did throughout this season was undeniably good
1: yeah from until his injury, he threw for three thousand one hundred and thirty five yards, which was thirtieth in the nation, and he only played what ten games
0: uh yeah, I believe so
1: yeah. With 27 touchdowns and get this two interceptions.
0: Yeah, that, that's phenomenal.
1: That is impressive. If again, if we would have got to see him finish the season, he easily would have been the Heisman Trophy winner.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, for me at number four, Bryce Young, it, I think it just goes without being said, Bryce Young is one of the top quarterbacks in college football. He's going to be a top pick. And I think, you know, what kind of ruined it for me was obviously, you know, team success. Bama was not good this year. We can all say it, you know, obviously not good for Bama is very good for a lot of programs, but not only did, you know, they not win, you know, all the games they should have, but he was banged up. He, uh, He went out in the Arkansas game and then, um, you know, wasn't 100% for the Tennessee game, but still started. I want to say he sat out a game um, between Arkansas and Tennessee. I I could be wrong, but um, nonetheless, Bryce Young was still phenomenal this year. 3,300 passing yards, 32 touchdowns, five interceptions, He had two five-passing touchdown games. He is extremely good. Um, But, you know, we'll just have to see what happens with him in the NFL. But when it comes to this list, you know, the NFL doesn't matter. It hasn't happened yet. And what I do know has happened is Bryce Young has cemented himself as one of the best college football quarterbacks that we've seen.
1: Yeah, he will probably go down as – Arguably the greatest quarterback in Alabama history, I think he beats out uh, Jay or sorry Tua Tua bowl in every category except uh, national championships won. Yeah. So I think he probably is the greatest quarterback that Alabama's had, and I, I mean, he did great this season. I have to agree.
0: All right. Well, let's get into number three. Who do you have at three, Brock?
1: At number three, I have C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. Interesting. Okay. Let me hear it. Uh, I put him at number three because he was – he is easily the second – well, of my list, it's going to be a little crazy because I'm at three. I'm saying he's the second best, and I'm staying with that because just career-wise, him – He's just so good. Watching the Georgia game, for example, he's got a dang cannon on him. He can launch that ball. He's got uh, pretty good accuracy on top of it and makes pretty good decisions. Um I just think, for me, the reason I have him at three instead of one or two uh, is just because I think he could have done a little better in certain games. But him just being on a superstar team is kind of why he got comfortable and it plays best in a few <clears throat> games.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think that if Ohio State would have gone deeper into some games, you know, a lot of victories, you know, they kind of concluded in the first half, but they ran it up early and then they could just coast for the rest of the game. So, yeah, CJ could have had better stats throughout the year, but um, obviously his impact was undeniable. Uh, for me at number three, I've got Hendon hooker. I, yeah, like you said, if he would have played out the whole season, he probably would have ended up as number one, but the ACL injury is, you know, it sucks, but uh, still an amazing year. He only passed for under two hundred one time. It was against UGA, which, you know, it just makes sense in, in that <laughs> one. But otherwise, uh, What, he had one, two, three, four of his games over 325 passing yards and didn't throw interceptions, only two interceptions, 27 touchdowns. He was easily the best quarterback in college football all the way up to that South Carolina game. Yeah. All right. This brings us to the top two. Who do you have at two, Brock?
1: At two, I put Bryce Young. And I did this because I think I played a little more into the what he's done and his whole career. And I just I just really like something I've said earlier is I really liked his confidence. But something with him, uh 3,328 yards, 32 touchdowns, five interceptions. That's a very good uh, very good uh, stat line. Uh, all those 64.5 completion percentage could have been a little better there. But something that he did is that he does it very, that a lot of the other quarterbacks he didn't really see too much is no matter what the score of the game was, he was as calm as Cucumber. He never let the pressure of the game get to him. And he was able to lead his team very well because of that.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that... Bryce Young is, you know, I think that he is, he doesn't just play with, like, confidence. He plays with um, the knowledge that in any moment he can change the game. I think that's more than just playing confidently, is playing. I don't really know how to word it, but I think you know what I mean, where it's like Bryce Young knows he's good enough to, be the difference maker every single time mm-hmm. the ball's in his hands.
1: Yeah, he knows. Yeah, he he and the best part about him is he understands his team as well. He knows what he's got to do for his team to get him into the game and stay in the game. Um, something I would like to say is I kind of wish I would have switched him and C J Stroud. I think C J Stroud actually deserves to be number two and Bryce Young at three, if we're looking at pure quarterback uh, statistics in a season, although. The reason I did put – I have them where they are right now, Bryce Young 2 and CJ Stroud at 3, is just because of Bryce Young's attitude towards the game and how he plays and just, again, how confident he is in himself.
0: Yeah, I I do think that that's kind of his X factor. Excuse me. But, um, no, I I like you putting him there. Um, My number two is – Caleb Williams, Um, obviously Heisman winner, but I just think that there was a couple of games where he could have played better. His impact was not seen very much. That Oregon State game where they barely slipped by 17-14, he was 16 for 36, 180, one touchdown, and he didn't really do much. And, and, you know, it's the Pac-12. You should be putting up, 30 points a game if you're the best quarterback in the Pac-12 on the best team in the Pac-12. That's how it should be. And then in the the game against uh, Washington State, they won it 30-14. to He was 15 for 29 for 188 and two touchdowns. And obviously that's not a bad performance, but I want to see more if you're going to be a star, especially in the Pac-12. And then, you know, You couldn't even beat Utah once, which, you know, it's tough because it's Utah and they're they're a good team, but come on, don't lose to them twice. And then, you know, down the stretch was a ton of great games and a great performance against Tulane. I just think that, you know, as a young quarterback, his second year, you know, his first year as the starter all year, but his second season as a starter, I wanted to see more leadership. I, I don't think... I think that's that's what Caleb Williams is missing.
1: Well, that's something uh, that gets me with the transfer portal, especially a team like USC, where they just got what thirty other thirty players in the portal, and half their starters came in from the portal from all these different teams. I think that's an issue you run into, especially your first year of everybody molding together. Is there's issues with the leadership? Everybody, like I said, again molding together becoming the team and so that's that's an issue when you get so many players in the transfer portal
0: yeah i think that that is a huge problem but you know the head the 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 coaching staff was very similar to what he had at oklahoma of course the head coach was the same and a couple of the other assistants i feel like he still should have been able to at least you know capture the attention of his team I feel like he should have been able to put that team on their his shoulders when other players weren't playing well and look he tried everything he could against Tulane and he tried everything he could in both games against Utah but both times they fell short and I I just feel like if they did a little bit better job of Maybe taking some of the stress off of Caleb Williams, he would have looked better.
1: Yeah. uh, Sometimes what happens is they do, quarterbacks do want to put the team on their shoulder and they put so much stress and they try to do way too much and it ends up not working because they try, then they start to try to force the ball into situations to where it shouldn't be there. You know, they'll try to force that quick under the under underneath double covered pass that ends up getting intercepted or that gets tipped and picked off, you know. That's why I uh yeah, they gotta as a quarter as a coach, you gotta see that and be able to do the uh be able to do things like get your run, make sure you have a good running game.
0: Yeah. All right. Well our number one picks, you know, it's pretty obvious who's left here, but uh go ahead and state your case where you're number one.
1: My number one is CJ Stroud. or not CJ Stroud, sorry. <laughs> uh my number one is Caleb Williams. Honestly, only because he won the Heisman. Again, although he did have a great season, 4,537 passing yards, 42 touchdowns to five interceptions, and a 66, a 66.6 completion percentage rate. Very good. Very good.
0: Yeah, he, he was amazing this year.
1: And he could dance around. He could make the plays. I agree with you. I wish he'd played better in certain games, but overall he had an amazing season and he could do some of the crazy things like, scram- like, you know, break, break two tackles in the backfield and get the ball off to get a first down, you know, or scramble, you know, scramble around and run for the first down those little things. He was yeah. able to do very well.
0: Yeah. I think he is very good at those things, but, um, You know, what separates my number one pick, C.J. Stroud, from other quarterbacks is C.J.'s ability to, even in the games where he, you know, his impact isn't as seen on the stat sheet, they still win commandingly. The only exception of that, you know, UGA, of course, they didn't win in the loss to Michigan he played amazing in both of those games, undoubtedly. But the game against Northwestern, which was just you know some horrible conditions, whatever, just the worst conditions for him to be passing the ball, he didn't have a good game. Still had 79 yards on the ground, which is not something we see from C.J. Stroud. He doesn't run the ball very often, but six carries for 79 yards is very good. And then another game where you know he really just didn't have to do much, was the Rutgers game. They won 49 to 10. He only had 154 passing yards because he didn't need to do anything else. But it's the games like Michigan or sorry, Michigan State, where they won 49-20 and he threw six touchdowns. And it's games like that that form the best quarterback in college football. And I think that on top of that him in my eyes being the best quarterback coming out that's it's just in my my opinion him being the best quarterback going into the draft puts him over caleb williams purely on experience and the draft stock
1: well if we're going for draft stock and experience i would of course pick uh caleb williams or not caleb williams uh cj Stroud over caleb williams like you said CJ Stroud has, now this would be his third year starting, right? Yeah. Third year starting. He's been to a national championship, been to the playoffs, been in big time situation, has always played very well. Um, Caleb Williams, on the other hand, second, uh, second, first year starter. Because, uh, you know, first year he didn't start the whole season. Uh, first time starting the full season. He's got a lot to work on. So, if we're going for the NFL of the two, I would definitely pick uh, uh, C.J. Stroud over Caleb Williams. But I think, if we look at it statistically, uh, Caleb Williams had a better season.
0: Yeah, I think that for me, with putting C.J. over Caleb Williams is mainly just, like, I think there's a lot more riding on this season for C.J. Stroud. So, for him to perform, you know, pretty close to as good as Caleb Williams is what made it a little bit better for me. He's playing against, you know, better teams week in, week out, in my opinion. I'm not saying that it's definitive, but I think that, you know, Ohio State probably plays a little bit harder schedule when it comes to defenses than Caleb Williams is going to play with USC. But what you know, what mattered this season for CJ Stroud was his draft stock. And I think all he did was make it better. And the stress that that brings. I think, you know, Caleb Williams didn't have stress. He knew that he could go out and ball out every week. But he was able to, you know, take risks. Whereas CJ Stroud, he's not allowed to take risks. This is your future that's riding on this one season. And for him to play so well is what kind of boosted him up to one for me.
1: All right. Fair enough.
0: All right. Let's talk about a couple of honorable mentions. But before that, I just want to say how crazy is it that both of us picked the exact same players. Our order <laughs> wasn't the same, but we picked the same 10 players.
1: I think it's because they were obviously the 10 best in uh football this year.
0: Yeah, I I think it's obvious. You know, some, you know, would argue that there's some other guys you could put probably in that like bottom 3, but when it came down to our list, I feel like we didn't miss anybody.
1: Yeah, I think we got the top ten best. And, again, other people can argue for some group of five uh, players and uh, some of them, but I think really when you look at it, it's it comes down to group of five. They play the best defenses and week in, week out. They have the best, you know, all of those things play into it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, Brock, I want to hear just uh, give me off a couple of your honorable mentions.
1: My biggest, uh, the one player I have for the, my, I I really want to put a lot of interest on is Kyle Vantries from Georgia Southern. I loved him. He had a great season through Georgia Southern, by the way, a traditional triple option school who just this year switched over to a spread team. He threw for 4,253 yards with 27 touchdowns. His biggest issue, though, is he threw (laughs) 16 uh, interceptions.
0: Yeah, that's going to happen in a pass-heavy offense.
1: But I just really, really, really enjoyed watching him. Um, Another one from a group of five, Austin Reed from Western Kentucky. He threw for the most passing yards in college football this season at four thousand seven forty four, forty touchdowns, eleven interceptions. Again, uh yeah, that was a great season, but group of five, I don't I think it's different when you're a power five as compared to group of fives.
0: Yeah. Any other honorable mentions you got before I give you mine? Um
1: definitely uh I I think i I think Will Rogers, I may not be his biggest fan, but I think he deserves a shout-out. He threw for almost right at 4,000 yards, had 35 touchdowns, eight interceptions. And then uh, Sam Hartman, he ended up uh, 11th in the nation for passing yards at 3,700, threw for 38 touchdowns. And I'm really excited to see him play next year as well.
0: Yeah, and so Sam Hartman was one of the guys that I picked as well. 3,700, like you said, 38 touchdowns. The 12 interceptions were a little bit rough, mainly coming out of that uh, Louisville game and uh, NC State games back-to-back where he threw three interceptions in each of those. But, yeah, Sam Hartman is a very good quarterback. I believe he's the career leader in passing touchdowns in ACC history, and that's only in three seasons there. Um, Oh. He really played five seasons, but he's a junior, whatever. <laughs> um, and it, he was extremely good this year. Uh, he's he's going to Notre Dame, right?
1: Yeah, he's transferring to Notre Dame.
0: Yeah. I think that that's going to be a amazing spot for him to play. I can't wait to watch him there. But uh, my next guy, Jaden Daniels from LSU. Look. Even though, like, his stats don't completely jump off the page, the games that they won this season were, you know, huge. The Alabama game, of course. The win over Ole Miss. They just, Sorry, but they absolutely stomped Ole Miss. Uh, the win over Florida. The, that bowl game performance. Like, LSU surprised a lot of teams, and I think that Jaden Daniels was a huge part of it. Uh, transferring from Arizona, taking over, you know, at a program that a lot of people did not I I, I really didn't have much faith in. He really played very well.
1: Yeah, he, he had a great season and I have to agree he very he played very well for his circumstance. And uh I believe he's also transfer or sorry not transferring. He's staying another year and um I'm a, I'm thinking it's gonna be very interesting to see how he plays.
0: Yeah. And then my last honorable mention, I feel like it's hard to not mention this guy, Cameron Rising, or Cam Rising from Utah. You know, he didn't you know, he wasn't really the top anything in any kind of stats other than QBR. He was ninth, but the the wins that Utah picks up every year are just crazy. Like they lose to Florida week one and then they lose to UCLA and then they just come back the next week and beat USC and they beat Oregon or sorry, they lose to Oregon, but then they beat USC again. Utah is just like for some reason the the scariest team to play in the nation year in and year out, only because they are just so good at home.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, a team like with them, you, you like you kind of pointed out there, you really don't know what you're going to get with them. Uh, you're either going to get a great Utah team that's going to come out and play, you know, like they're playing for a national championship or you're going to get a team that's just a little, you know, that's off that day.
0: Yeah. And, like, Cam Rising didn't really play well in the big games. But, nonetheless, I think that he is a solid quarterback. And, like, in the games that he – that they did win. He did play well. So, um, and also, they run the ball a, a good amount. So, the fact that he had, you know, such solid stats with that being the case is, is rather impressive. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with the top 10 quarterbacks?
1: Um, nothing really comes to mind. I think uh, this, this was a pretty good list by the both of us.
0: Yeah, I think we both did a great job. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit of MLB before we get into stake your claim. Uh, I do want to talk about so ESPN. Uh, I believe it was about a week ago put out their um, mid-winter uh, top or er, power rankings. We're just going to go through the top ten, uh, and, and I'll just kind of give my opinions on a couple of the picks. So starting at one, uh, they've got the Astros, and it, it's obviously they deserve it. The only thing that kind of turns me away is that they lost Verlander in the offseason, which they already have a solid rotation without him. But, you know, losing Justin Verlander, you know, a future Hall of Famer, is obviously going to hurt your pitching come next year.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a, a a bit of a hole they're going to have to fix.
0: Yeah, and, and then at number two, the Atlanta Braves couldn't be happier with that after, Woo. you know, a, a, quite a – I'd call it a failure a failure of a postseason, one hundred percent. Um being number two here after losing Dansby Swanson is a, a very good sign to me as a Braves fan.
1: Yeah, I think that's a it's I think it's a good spot for Atlanta as well. Uh pretty solid pitching rotation. And like I said, even with losing uh Dansby Swanson, I think we filled his uh gap uh pretty well. And we have a uh, very solid team coming uh, this upcoming season.
0: Yeah. And then number three, the New York Yankees. Uh, I think this is a bogus pick. Like, how are they number three? Uh, all they did when it comes to, you know, the free agency or anything is they signed Carlos Rodon and they re signed Aaron Judge. That's it. Uh, I. They didn't really do anything else that notable, but for some reason they're at three, and I know for a fact they're going to end up falling short.
1: Uh, Yeah, you know, New York teams tend to do
0: this thing where they like to fall short. Yeah, and speaking of New York teams falling short, the Mets come in at number four. And look, the Mets love to flash their money, but let's all be realistic here. They made some fantastic signings, you know, adding Justin Verlander though they didn't end up getting Carlos Correa still the additions they made to that roster are going to pay out so well for them and you know maybe they'll maybe they'll win the division but probably not yeah yeah we we'll, we'll see i doubt it yeah Braves are too good Mets are going to win like 80 games
1: yeah this going to be just like this season where all they need to do is win one game and we uh, end up winning the rest of them
0: yeah fuck the Mets all right uh coming in at number five a team that's kind of surprising to me but I think they deserve this spot is the Padres they you know picking up Bogarts they'll have Tatis coming back shortly uh from the start of the season he's got I believe 20 games left on his uh PED suspension and he'll be moving to the outfield which um You know, if you heard my rant a couple weeks ago, you know how I feel about him being an outfielder. But Jake Cronenworth at first base, ha Young Kim at second, and then Bogarts at short, and Machado at third. This team is going to be so good. And then Juan Soto as well. I forgot he was even there. Yeah, they're going to be a very good team this season. I wouldn't be surprised if they
1: uh, win their division.
0: Yeah, because the next team that comes up on this list, the Dodgers, you know, they, they, there's some holes losing Trey Turner and not really replacing him at the shortstop position is going to be hard for them. You lead off hitter, uh, MVP contender, and now you kind of have nothing there. And then you give up uh, a franchise guy like Justin Turner and kind of straight swap him almost for JD Martinez which you know J.D. Martinez at this point in his career yeah he still adds a bat to your lineup but as a DH that you know he's you know his impact is is limited and i just i don't see a lot of bright spots with this Dodgers team and and they lost a couple of pitchers as well we'll have to see what happens over there in LA but um next is going to be the Blue Jays I like this pick. I think the Blue Jays are really good. They'll they'll continue to get good as some of these young players that they have coming up get better. Uh, I really couldn't say that the Blue Jays will be higher on this, but they'll they'll be a playoff team, I think. Yeah. I could see that. I could see them probably winning the AL East if uh if the Yankees, you know, don't live up to expectations like they do so often.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the Yankees are just gonna, you know, be an average New York team.
0: Yeah. And then coming in at number eight on this list, the uh the World Series runner ups, the Philadelphia Phillies, it's kind of crazy to see them all the way down here when they are the World Series runner up and the third team just from their division on this list. But it's kind of expected. You know, though they added Trey Turner in the offseason. There's always going to be question marks in Philadelphia. And the biggest one is health. The problem that they run into a lot of times is guys getting hurt. And last year was no exception, though, you know, it kind of turned around for the playoffs. You know, Castellanos missed significant time, Harper missed some time. A bunch of guys on that roster have to stay healthy for them to really hit their full potential this coming season. Yeah. 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 100%. And then the last two teams here, just to kind of finish it up, the Rays, who there's not a big margin of error for the Rays. They're either going to be extremely good and win like 100 games, or they're going to be like really, really bad and only win probably 80 or less because (laughs) it's just how it goes with the Rays is they don't have a high payroll. They don't pick up the big guns, but... They bring up the young guys. They'll have Glasnow, hopefully, for the entire season. He's a guy that could be, you know, an AL Cy Young finalist. Wander Franco is going to be entering, you know, his second full season, but his third season in the league. And there's things to look forward to in Tampa, but I I just still feel like they need to start spending some more money.
1: Yeah, I got to agree, and I— I feel like they they spend a little money everywhere. Like, I forget they're a team all the time because they don't really have a fan base. I I feel like they don't really have a fan base because, like, they don't really have people that go to their games, and I hear it's because they have one of the worst stadiums in the MLB.
0: Yep, they sure do. The Trop is a horrible place. It's a a white roof and a sport with a white ball. There's things hanging from the ceiling and it's a. It's on an island in Saint Petersburg. It is horrible, and you know there's pretty much one way of traffic in and out of their stadium because they put it on an island. And, yeah, the Rays. If they're not going to spend money on free agents, get a new stadium.
1: Yeah, literally, like do something. <laughs> and then like, the last,
0: uh... oh, the last team on this list is the Mariners, uh, a team that. I really like, I think, that the youth of this team with Julio Rodriguez and George Kirby, guys like that are making a difference there. And then on top of it, you still have Mitch Haniger, and you still have, you know, like Cal Raleigh or Raleigh, however you want to say it, a bunch of other guys up and down this lineup that just make an impact on their games. And they kept a lot of guys that made an impact last year in that run into the playoffs and I think they're just going to get better.
1: Yeah. I like, I like the Mariners. They're a cool story. Oh yeah. I like them. I, I-, I kind of want to see them do good, but you know, the Braves all the way, baby.
0: Oh yeah. Braves on top. But let's round out some of this MLB stuff, a little bit of news. So some Braves specific news, Uh long time Braves play by play announcer, chip Carey, the third generation carry to call MLB games will be leaving the Braves to be the play-by-play for the Cardinals. And uh, just a little bit of a backstory on chip and his family's involvement in the MLB chips, grandfather, Harry started his legendary career 42 or his legendary 42 year career in St. Louis. And that's kind of the reasoning that most people are saying is why he wanted to go to St. Louis. But, as well as that, Chip's father Skip was the Braves' play-by-play announcer from <coughs> from 1976 until his death in 2007. And yeah, I'm I'm gonna as much as I got pretty mad at Chip Carry over the seasons, um, I'm gonna miss him as the play-by-play announcer.
1: Yeah, I really liked listening to him, and you know, everyone's got the voice they get used to and. It's just going to be weird to, to get readjusted to a new, new voice.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I will say there's another guy that you could pick up to keep the lineage going because Chip's brother, Josh, is the play-by-play announcer for the Rocket City Trash Pandas over in Alabama. Maybe we should pick him up, keep the carry lineage going in Atlanta. Maybe. <laughs> All right, and then the next little thing, Jazz Chisholm. Uh, uh, he was announced as the cover athlete of MLB, the show 23. And I don't really understand that pick. I think there's a lot of guys you could have chosen, even if you were going for like the younger route or the younger international route, whatever they were going for here. I think there was better players they could have picked.
1: Yeah, I think there are other people they could have picked, but, uh, there they was, some reason behind why they grabbed him.
0: Yeah, and then look, Jazz Chisholm is like a very he's a personable guy. He's a good like face for things. So I get the pick. I just, you know, I feel like Julio Rodriguez has a good case. Wander Franco. Like if you're going for that young international like Ronald Acuna, he should be he should be a cover athlete on MLB the show. But you know, regardless, I think that Jazz Chisholm is a good face for that game. And um, I'll most definitely be buying it. But um, next little thing, Shohei Otani uh, signed a sponsorship deal with New Balance, which I'm excited for. I really like New Balance's stuff, especially for baseball apparel and getting a little Otani stuff. I might have to pick some up.
1: Yeah, but nothing tops Brooks running.
0: (laughs) We're not sponsored this week, so we'll have to see. But uh, (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> Zach Granke re-signed with the Royals for one more year, so he's gonna continue his uh his second stint with the Royals. That one's not really a, a significant one. And then the last little bit of news, Jeff McNeil signs a four year fifty million dollar extension with the Mets. The Flying Squirrel returns to New York for a little bit longer. And uh yeah, I I hate Jeff McNeil because he always plays very well against the Braves, but that's enough for the MLB. Let's get to stake your claim, and then we'll get out of here. We've we've kept y'all long enough. <laughs> Brock, what's your stake? Your claim this week?
1: Oh, I'm trying to think of something. I've been trying to think of something just wild and outlandish all day long, and nothing too crazy's been coming to me, but um. Oh, wait, I believe I said that last week. Um, oh, dude, I had something, but I didn't write it down. I kind of wish I would have wrote it down now.
0: <laughs> all right, oh, well, d- do you want me to go ahead and go, and then you can... Yeah. Okay, I'll go ahead and go. I'm going to stake my claim right here, and I 100% believe this. With all the question marks surrounding them this off season. Alabama will be worse next year than they were this past year. All
1: right. Oh, I actually get – I'm happy you said that because, you know, mine was that I was thinking earlier. Alabama makes the national championship.
0: <laughs> I, okay. Well, I'm going to argue my side and then you can say your side. Look, it, right now there there's no coordinators. In Tuscaloosa, they've got no OC. They've got no, uh, well, I guess, you know, they're looking at some DCs that are possible, but they just got turned down by their, you know, leading OC. And so there's still no coordinators. We don't really know how this defense is going to look now that they're losing the best defensive player in the nation for the last two years. And on top of it, they're losing their starting quarterback. Jaden Miller. like, who's going to start now? Jalen Milroe or Ty Simpson. I feel like Jalen Milroe is not that good. I don't think he can lead this team. And I haven't seen enough of Ty Simpson to say that he should be the starter either.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a good, good point. Alabama doesn't look like they're going to do anything, but I think that's just what Nick Saban wants you to think. Just wait. He's got something hidden
0: up his sleeve, and it's, it's going to blow everybody's mind. All right. Well, for the first time, this is what this is our twenty-first episode of Second and Short. We've been doing stake your claims since like the second or third episode, and this is the first time that we've had stake your claims that duel each other's. So, you know, Brock, what what do you think is going to make Alabama get to the national championship?
1: Uh, Jeremy Poots going to come in and uh, whip that defense into shape.
0: All right. I like that. So you so you not only think they'll make the championship, you'll think they'll hire Jeremy Pruitt as the defensive coordinator. I just feel like there's, there's so much going on right now. I, I can't trust this offense.
1: I feel like the offense is going to be an issue, but they have so much talent on that roster. If they cannot find someone that's worth a dang to come out at a quarterback and fill the role. I mean, obviously, Bryce Young is a very hard person to fill. Like I said, he's the greatest quarterback to play, to put on the Alabama football uniform, in my opinion. I think that's a very big role to fill, but I think this is a great year for Alabama to kind of be a little little behind because Georgia, again, is going to be losing most, a lot of their offense and their defense. LSU, though they're returning a lot of players, is still – in the beginning uh, phases of the Brian Kelly era. And, you know, there's some other teams in the West that are in first-year head coaches or they're looking to the portal a lot. And I think Alabama's going to be able to figure something out and make it through and only have that one loss or something like that. It may be to LSU and then they have one loss, only lost to LSU. And LSU, let's say they won SEC or something. You know, I, I think it's going to be a great argument, and I think they have a great potential this year to make the championship.
0: All right. Well, it's safe to say that I disagree, but uh, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Anything else you want to give for the people, Brock? Uh,
1: no, not not that I can think of.
0: All right. Well, make sure you guys are all following the second and short socials on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, if that's what you're, uh, you're checking all the time. Um, please, uh, Luke said it last episode, uh, start sending either to the second and short account or our personal accounts. Um, send us topic ideas, anything you want us to talk about. Um, you know, some scenarios, debates, predictions, whatever you guys are looking for, because, uh, we're, we're almost into that point where there's not much going on. Um, We'll start talking college baseball pretty soon. And um, we'll talk a little bit of March Madness when that one happens. But uh, otherwise, you know, football is coming to a close. We've got two more weeks and there's no football till September. So please feel free to uh, send us any ideas you've got and uh, be on the lookout for that Patreon. It's going to be coming soon. All right. That is going to do it, everybody. We'll see y'all Friday. Peace.